You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. Misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the Mad Ones. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your somehow I'm a grown-ass man and I have swimmer's ear or some sort of ear infection in both ears host, Cam Harless. And with me as always is your what's Kevin doing in the garage and why are the lights flickering hostess, Miss Jessica Green. How you doing, Jessica? He, he said it wasn't him. He, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't believe him. Neither do I. I think there's some <laughs> mad science going on down there that he's not telling me about. Something um, dark, something disturbing. I just know it. Yeah. Like a, a burn after reading style project going on in the garage. You'll have to see that movie to know what I'm talking about. It's been a minute <laughs> since I've seen that. But it, what's that? Um, the movie, uh, I'm not even going to mention it because I can't remember the quote that I was going to say. But it reminded me of something else. I'll figure it out some point during this show and tell you about it. But before right. we get to our guest, because we're going to talk about stoicism today, which is a concept I don't know. And so we're going to have uh, one of my friends who delved has delved pretty deeply into it. Kind of walk us through that, walk us through some of the tenets and how it's affected her, how it's helped her, all of that. Before we do that, if you like coffee, I like coffee. If you like bourbon, I like bourbon. You can actually get some coffee that's been aged in bourbon barrels from Run Your Mouth Coffee, which is rymcoffee.com. And if you use promo code the Mad Ones, you get 10% off and it helps our little our little shindig continue. And it lets us pay for all these little things that we do to keep going. So do that, or I don't love you anymore. Um, but <laughs> joining us tonight is a based bitch, a podcaster, a network engineer, the first person I ever made a podcast with and the pr provider of the first microphone I ever owned. A student of the Stoics, an incredibly reasoned individual with a thirst for knowledge and a sharp tongue, my very good friend, Kim Shang. How you doing, Kim? Wow. That was, a, that was quite the <laughs> intro. I'm going to need to just have like a little pocket cam. And just every time I walk into a room, I need you to just introduce me. <laughs> I, I pride myself on my ability to introduce people. <laughs> well, thank you both so, for I'm having also, me on. I'm also really enjoying the image of a tiny man running into a room to like <laughs> declare that someone is coming and you would make things much more exciting. <laughs> so stoicism uh, is something I think is very misunderstood in the contemporary world in the modern world or postmodern world. If you want to go down that road, um, because we think of it as old sturdy as Oak men. We think of it as our grandfathers who did not cry or emote, you know, they were just there and they were strong and they didn't, they didn't show any vulnerability whatsoever, which, you know, may be a part partially stoic, but I think that, most people don't think of the philosophy or even know anything about the philosophy. So the very simple yet probably complex question I have to start with you is what is stoicism? 
Well, the you definitely correctly pointed out how it's misconstrued easily. And I even find this, well, not surprisingly, on all sorts of social media when you go into stoic groups, even people in those groups get it all wrong. Lowercase s stoic, entirely different than uppercase s stoic. Or lowercase right. is what we're used to, of course, the people who you were saying very sturdy, don't cry, you don't see much emotion, where that's not necessary stoicism. Stoicism is actually more of a system of thought, and it's actually a complex system of thought that more so teaches you to master your emotions and actually deal with them in the moment so that you know, you're not repressing anything. That's not what Stoics teach. They teach you right. to be able to deal with your passions, as it's called, especially if they're negative passions like anger, that somebody has provoked you when you become angry and react that way. It teaches you to take that moment before you have that reaction and go, is this the correct response? Is this person important to me? Is their opinion opinion correct? If it's correct, then I shouldn't get angry and say, well, thank you. I will take that into consideration. If mm -hmm. that opinion is not a good opinion, then you just go, why am I even going to bother getting mad? It's not Amen. even worth it to pay attention. And then you just stop that emotion and none of that comes through and you just kind of go on with your day. So it teaches you to deal with it. It's a quite the process. And the way Stoics talk about it is the, the first impression is what I talked about, the emotion that comes with it and your assent to it really is where the things come in because we put a lot of what they call value judgments on things and we just take <laughs> things and make our opinion. We color them as Marcus Aurelius, who was one of the most famous Stoics and who was also a Roman emperor, um, who has something, he had a journal called Meditations that is one of the best pieces of writing. And it's just him every night sitting down with a journal and kind of talking to himself to become a little more Stoic. And it's, fascinating reading and i always encourage people if you're going to look into stoicism that's where i would start with meditations but also add on uh it's called the inner citadel by pierre hadot which actually is kind of a synopsis and helps with understanding the meditations because it can get a little crazy to try to understand what he's saying yeah <laughs> any ancient greek text is not super easy to it, it doesn't seem super easy to translate always no. and especially not when you're reading it's like when we talk about the Bible um, and people try to do these super plain readings, but they don't have context, but they don't have mm -hmm. historical context. I mean, different versions of context. So, I mean, I could very easily see that. One of the things, actually the thing that made me want to talk to you about Stoicism, there were a couple, but the main one was uh, I was I was on TikTok because I'm hip and um uh, a video came up and it was just like, it said something about stoicism. And so I immediately thought of, thought of you. And then the guy was talking about how um, what you need to learn and understand the concept of enough in order to find some form of contentment. So that has been something that's been playing on playing in my mind since I heard it, because, you know, I've had a lot of struggles financially. I've had different things happen, especially over the last year. And I have had little to no contentment. It's been chaos. And so this idea of understanding enough is, I was like, I want to talk to Kim. I want to see what more, what depths we could plumb in some way so that I can understand this a little bit more. Because I feel like there are a lot of tenets of it that I've naturally taken in that I didn't know 
we're stoic kind of, you know, like, cause when you said something about um, controlling the, that initial reaction, it made me think of the, the alcoholics anonymous prayer, you know, the God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It seems very stoic to me. Actually and, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I never would have known that had it not been you talking about this and that one little thing that made me go, Oh, that's that stoicism or the fact that I turned a corner several years ago on social media and personal relationships where I realized that I do not have to take everyone's opinion and I don't have to care about the vast majority of them and just, you know, going, okay, so is this actually something or can I just ignore it? Do I have to debate everything? Do I have to argue everything? No. I can be content in my own knowledge and change when I need to. So I, I feel like I've got some stoicism in me, but I couldn't have put that name on it. <laughs> True. There, I think a lot of people have a little bit of stoicism in their, in their lives if they've ever really just sat down and tried to think about the things that are going on in lives and if they should respond to something or not. Those moments where you actually were able to just say, you know what, I'm not going to bother is a very stoic thing to do. And while you're saying the the idea of basically being content in every situation. That is one of the things Stoics try to focus on. Stoicism was born out of something called cynicism. And to give it a little history, Zeno of Cetium, or uh, Cyprus, I guess is where it's at now, but he was shipwrecked somewhere near Athens and you know he was selling some wares and everything was destroyed. So he decides he's hanging out on this island and he goes into a bookstore and he's reading, uh, I think it was called Memorabilia by Xenophon. And there was a section about Socrates in there. And he got, he was really fascinated and he wanted to know, where can I find these philosophers? And magically, here comes Crates. Crates was a cynic. And cynics are very hardcore. Cynics are the type uh, that just live very minimal. Uh, you had people like Diogenes. I think that he's one of the most fascinating of the studies that I've had so far. He's the kind of guy that would just kind of sleep in a tub on the street and he just didn't care about anything. There was a story of Alexander the Great showing up and here's Diogenes just chilling, laying out, taking in some sun. And of course, Alexander the Great is trying to you know, talk about how great he is, he's talking to him and all Diogenes could say to this man is like, you're in the way of my son. And that's the kind of attitude <laughs> that I like. So, and I mean, they were hardcore, I mean, and then so I guess Zeno liked cynicism. There were some stuff that he liked, but he didn't like how hardcore they were. To, they were to the point where they made him carry like this pot of lentils and he was trying to hide it under his robe so he didn't get embarrassed and they just smashed it. And so the lentils were just running all down his body and Zeno goes taken off and he's just like, this stuff is too hardcore for me. <laughs> and it's just, but to make that story, that story short and make some sense, stoicism comes from the fact that they, Basically, in around Greece and Rome, they just kind of stood around. All these schools of thought were just find a place, and they would just kind of talk about their philosophy and draw people in. And for the Stoics, they would hang out somewhere called the Stoa, and it's hard for me to say Pekili or whatever, uh, which Stoa and Pekili, that's painted porch. And they decided to take Stoa and make it stoicism. And that's where that actually derives from is just from where they spoke and brought in students. It and that, what's me. interesting, 
I was just gonna say what's interesting about that naming convention is when I was looking into it a little bit, I, I found the painted porch thing and I found that was, I found that fascinating and I love the idea of the painted porch, but it used to be called, it used to be named after Zeno. Is that what you said his name oh, was? Oh yeah. Xenonism. Yeah. Xenonism. That's dumb. I would never want to be a Xenon. And that was, that was their, their thought. They didn't want it to be centered around one man, but the ideas. And so then they changed it to the name of the painted porch or Stoa stoicism. So I'm sorry, Jessica, go ahead. No, um, what it's reminding me a great deal of is I'm studying the lives of the saints and sort of the ancient um, monastic ascetics. Um, yeah. For a while in the early church, people were being martyred left and right, and it was considered a great honor to be martyred for your religion. And then Christianity was accepted across the Roman Empire. People didn't have as much opportunity for um, a glorious martyrdom any longer. And so monasticism developed and asceticism developed in this way that you sort of die to the world. You you um, embrace the the death of your uh, needs. And in the death of your needs, you embrace, you know, hopefully the spirits, the spirit of God and all of these things. So when I'm hearing about these people, it reminds me a great deal of the ancient ascetics and how they would go into the desert and sort of forsake their their bodily needs in hopes of, you know, obtaining closeness to God. Yeah, I, I, I automatically thought of the ascetics. And then I also, when she mentioned Diogenes, I thought of uh, the Fools for Christ, that, that mm -hmm. specific uh, set of Christian saints who, like John the Baptist, who would have been a fool for Christ, left and lived very radically, very separately, very hard conditions. And so that's, mm -hmm. I had the same thought. <laughs> right, right. So is there a lot of like cross, um, I don't know, like cross blending between sort of the saints, the ascetics, the monastics, and the Stoics? Are these a lot of the same people? Well, it's an interesting story because at some point, Stoicism kind of took a back seat because of Christianity and some of the tenets and things that, because Stoicism doesn't necessarily, you can be a Stoic and a Christian at the same time, but the way mm -hmm. that Stoics viewed God back then was a bit different mm -hmm. than Christians would normally have. So, I mean, okay. you know, they're, it's, it's quite the philosophy and it's uh, something that I've been trying to dive into the uh, idea of Christianity and Stoicism and the, um, sorry, my mentor doesn't like when I say modern Stoicism. He just thinks it's mm -hmm. all, you know, everybody <laughs> learning things. He doesn't like that at all, but will try to cut any God out of everything. Mm -hmm. So they try to make it as atheist as possible. But if you look at even some of the writings of Marcus Aurelius, they're talking about God and, and sometimes they're referring to Zeus. It depends on which Stoic and what you're reading. But mm -hmm. in the, I don't know if I've, I think I've talked to Cam before about it, that I found something called the Stoic College. And mm. they have about three levels of courses for if you start about high school, which I did not. But they have this Stoic Essential Studies School, which gives you the overview because Stoicism is definitely, when I said a system of thought is a system of thought it is fleshed out with logic ethics and physics so there's right. a lot that you have to you end up learning and a lot of these schools were like that because it's not like they had science back then so i mean the idea of atomic theory came out of philosophy from the greeks and the romans so that right. kind of stuff and so they had to figure out ways of 
explaining the universe. So Stoics had their whole entire system. And most people focus on the ethics of Stoicism because that's, of course, where you get the um, living a virtuous life. Because to a Stoic, the highest good is virtue because the more virtuous you become, the better your life is, the better you treat other people. And that's one of the other aspects people get wrong about stoicism. I think it's so focused on yourself that you, you, but that doesn't make any sense because there are of course the four cardinal virtues, justice, temperance, courage, wisdom, which justice entails actually treating people well. So, and being a good cosmopolitan because in stoic theory, even the idea of there's something called pneuma and this is probably breath yes the breath exactly so that sort of thing doesn't just exist in a human it exists in the entire universe therefore when the stoics talk about following your following nature it's following your own nature how you were built the things that are that bring you joy that are going to make you a virtuous good person but also the nature of the world because we are part of the world right so would you say that that is where one of the key differences lie between the monastics and the Stoics, or that there is this sort of pursuit of the self? Yes. And that's, I guess that's probably why a lot of people struggle with the idea of trying to think of Stoicism in any sort of other spiritual guide, because most right. things will want you to focus outside of yourself. And that's not saying Stoics don't do that, but a lot sure. of it is self-examining as well. And even when it comes to thinking of the idea of God, the way they, that Stoics think about it, it's more of God is a more of a, an idea that there's something ordering the world. There's no that denying that. Like, it sounds like Alcoholics Anonymous. You have to um, acknowledge a higher power. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think specific. a lot of... Yeah, I think a lot of the AAs and all of that kind of get that stuff from Christianity and also... Um, Stoicism gave birth to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a okay. really amazing ah. like thought process that actually changes the entire way you think about things. Yeah. So I also got into stoicism and got into CBT as well. And it changed a lot about my thoughts. CBT was the only thing that worked for me when I was dealing with insomnia. And I was using, I was trying different drugs. I mean, I did everything conceivable to try to get some sleep. And even after taking like heavy doses of sleep medication, I would still wake up. And um, CBT was the only thing that worked for me. And I have a pretty normal sleep schedule now because of it. So it works. Speaking of like the mixture of Christianity and Stoicism, I I find it interesting because one of, I think there's actually kind of a Greek competition that arises that's that's as old as time almost which is a lot of Christians, since they came out of the Greek world, uh, really tied a lot of Platonism into Christianity and and colored Christianity with Plato's thoughts, even where it didn't quite belong. And, you know, there there are different, like there's a a differing concept of soul between the Bible and between Plato that is, is something that I think we'll probably delve into a little bit more deeply with um, the hell episode. But I find in this case, I find it interesting because I do think that had stoicism taken the lead, it could have within the, some of the church fathers, within some of the, the laymen of Christians at that time, it could have very well been a, a big part of Christianity as, as well. But I think there was probably a little competition there. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, there was definitely competition with, well, with anything with any sort of belief system because some people will try to use stoicism as a religion to replace things. I don't think of it as a religion. To me, it's still a system of thought because it's ethics itself is also has to be, there's this whole thing where the idea of an egg and the yolk in the middle would be the ethics. And then you got physics as the egg white. And then I believe it would be logic as the shell because everything has to be based because Stoics are a very rational reasoning type that yeah. we think the path to happiness and virtue involves reasoning. And yeah. as you can tell, after, even though I spent a lot of time in the party that shall not be named, cause I don't want to talk about it. And there was a lot <laughs> of does? talk about yeah, logic there. You're in good I'd, company. Yeah. Just <laughs> forget that party. Just anyway, but it's, it's very much, it taught me a lot more about logic. I enjoyed the logic part of what I'm going through now, because after the stoic essential studies course, there's a year long Marcus Aurelius course where the first course basically was just, you were with a mentor and you had homework assignments, whereas the Marcus Aurelius school is a year long and you are given two week intervals and you're just given a bunch of reading to go through and try to understand on your own. And then you meet with your mentor and you get you, if you have any questions, you talk to them about it, but it's all, it involves you doing all the work. You're just talking with them. But the first section was logic. And I really enjoyed that. I think a lot of the uh, people from party that shall not be named would be blown out of the water if they even bothered to try stoic logic, because it's based on propositions. And, uh, and a lot of that is just trying to find ways to make an argument super solid that no matter what the problem is you would always come with the same solution to it. And it's really fascinating that they went propositional as opposed to where other schools decided they want to do things with the terms when it came to logic. And it's, and I think that was one of the things that I really liked about the Stoics. Yeah. So, no, Sorry, I was there's, there was, go ahead. Oh, something that kind of grabbed me when you were first talking is about your reaction to like um, emotional things. And um, as you were describing how you sort of train yourself to assess your emotions before you emote them, I imagined to myself, well, this would take a great deal of training, especially for someone like me. I wear everything out on my sleeve and I could probably use some of this training. So um, not necessarily saying, hey, sign me up or whatever, but how does one begin to teach themselves to assess their emotions before? Because emotions are something that like, for some people are uh, out of their hands. And when I do have those rare moments where I grab my emotions before they get out, I feel pretty good about that, but that's not always the case. Like, how does one begin to train themselves in that process? The first thing uh, we're usually taught to do is we'll do a lot of the here and now meditation, which that's not new to anybody. It's just basically sitting there in, in the moment, maybe taking a minute. We start in minute intervals and just staying in the here and now, just using all the senses, just saying, right now I smell fresh coffee and I see my laptop, I see my stoic notes in front of me, I can hear ambient noise, I can hear my laptop making the struggling noise to continue working and I can feel the fabric of my pants and you're just doing that, just staying in the here and now constantly and right. practicing that. That gives you some time to be able to focus because a lot of people, they're, they're, our minds are just running off to the next thing and even when somebody's saying something, you're already reacting to it. And you're already on the, oh, this person just said something that made me mad. And you're already thinking of that. And you're already running ahead to what you're going to say. 
where mm-hmm. with stoicism, because of that here and now training, you have to stop and go, this person just said this and my heart started racing and I really just want to slap this fool upside the head. Yeah. What brought me to that? And doing that here and now teaches you to just stop and go, okay, wait, hold up. Why am I reacting like this? And it yeah. is a really difficult thing to do at first, but it starts to become natural. And every Stoics will always admit, yeah, there are moments where the emotion gets ahead of you no matter what, because we're human, we're not perfect, but it's the, we're taught very hard to just, you can have a first movement, which is that anger or emotion or wanting to cry. And that's fine. And every now and then those emotions actually are correct. When my mom passed, the idea of the emotion of me crying um, didn't need to be stopped because I am grieving. So that's not saying you, you can't let those out, but You know, if I start crying in the middle of, say, you know, a class or something, that's going to be a little more difficult. And for Stoics, that's another thing we learn to do is being able to not only say, hey, I don't need to have this reaction. It'd be, wait, maybe I do need to have this reaction, but I need to have it later and really figure out why Mm -hmm. I'm feeling this way. Because there have been moments where I just got really upset about something stupid. And then I'm just thinking, why did that happen? But you can't do that in the moment because you're in the middle of doing things. So setting things aside to take care of them, even by writing them down, or there's a exercise we do at night is you just talk about, okay, what did you do today? Because there's a morning exercise where you think about what you have to do that day. How can all of that go wrong and what you're going to do if they do go wrong. Um, right. And then at the end of the day, you just go, okay, what did I do today? How did things go wrong? How'd they go right? So it's a lot of teaching to be in your mind and really trying to understand these things. So you become more conscious of them when you're in everyday conversation. Hmm. I, what I find very interesting about the way you're talking about this and the way, what I've kind of picked up in my less than minute look into some of this is it's all very based on knowledge, reason, logic, and it all seems very prone to searching for the objective. And in that, it feels very antithetical to the the more current postmodern worldview, because you start with what you know, rather than questioning everything you think you know. Would you would you say that it would be outside of Ayn Rand's objectivism, the opposite of postmodernism? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so because I, I mean we've all been dealing with it. Where everybody's say so, you know it's how you feel, but nobody's questioning why that feeling happened. I mean, Cam could say to me, you know, I hate that shirt. And I could be thinking, what, you know, are you saying, you know, do you hate my school or whatever? He's like, no, I I just think it's a really plain shirt. So things, we react to things so differently that you can't go off of feeling because feeling isn't ever going to give you your, your answers. And you can have feelings that are reasoned because Sometimes when I think about something that happens and I think I'm right, and the more I sit there and I go, actually, I was right, you know, I had the correct response to that. I just should have gotten a little more upset about it at that time. But I think feeling is something that still is important. You can't get rid of feelings. It makes you human. But logic can temper that. Reason can help you temper that so that when you have these sort of feelings, you can actually put an explanation to them instead of starting out with, I feel, and that's all. I'm like, great, you feel something. That's fascinating. Is this a philosophy that believes in objective truth? That I'd say is a little difficult because I mean, in all of philosophy, it's really, you will have a bunch of people fighting about things. The 
there isn't a lot that I would say that's an objective truth other than as Stoics say, because it's something we talk about and we have pendants and everything is uh, basically memento mori. Remember, you'll die. That's a definite absolute right there. There's no argument there. But everything else is sort of a, I'd say, what's up to you and your thought process. The Stoics don't really try to pin that sort of thing down for you. Okay. So, but you, but yeah. you would yeah. would you say that they think that there is, like that you you can with confidence say that the sun exists. You can with confidence say that the earth exists. You can say that this is not a hologram, <laughs> like stuff like that. Yeah, there can be the, my favorite is uh, just the idea of because there's a little bit of talk about that where, but it's more so on how you react to things. If you see a paper tiger and you see it from a far distance, you know, and it looks like a, a, a frightening tiger, it's not actually going to harm you when you get close to it. But if you get close to a real tiger, that's entirely different. So there is some things where you have to accept them. And Stoics are more so talk about how there has to be some sort of proof to it. But I mean, you do see that the sun rises, yes, and you see all of this, but there's also the aspect of ascent. So there is some talk about those sorts of things. And yes, we all agree, you know, the sun rises, you know, the earth exists and yeah. all of that sort of thing. But talking about objective truths, not really a huge thing in stoicism. That's not a lot of what they focus on. Can gotcha. you go more into the idea of ascent and what that means in stoicism? Yeah, that's the, as I was saying, the, you have the, first movement, the first reaction to things. And I remember reading um, this this book. It was on Stoicism by John Sellers called Stoicism. It's actually a really good book. And there's somebody who is stuck at, at sea in a boat, and there's just a huge wave coming, a gigantic one that could just flood everybody out of the boat and everybody could die. And so he's looking up at the wave and he's like, oh my goodness, there's a wave. I could die. And mm -hmm. that's the first movement where you're just freaking out death is I'm staring death in the face. But then after having that first movement, we would call having a value judgment of I'm going to die. That's a value judgment. So once you have had those two steps, the next thing to do is decide if you're going to give in to the panic of what's going on, or you're going to step back from the situation. And that's the ascent. Are you going to ascent to this? Are you going to give in to the fear because you saw this wave and you're going to die? Mm -hmm. Is that going to change anything? So ascent is one of the steps when it comes to trying to understand how to control your emotions. There's a few steps to it, but it always comes with the first movement and then the value judgment, if this is good or bad for you. And then next would be if you give in to whatever that value judgment is. That's why they focus so much on not putting value judgments on things because it tends to make you react and you'll end up assenting to that reaction where they want you to stop and go, okay, the only things that are in stoicism, the only things that are good are things that are things you can control, right. not external things. Because obviously if I say Cam started cussing me out or something and calling me names or whatever, and I could say, well, that's bad behavior, but I can't control what he says. But yeah. if I say that kind of stuff to him, yes, now I have control of that because that's coming out of my mouth. And that's the stuff we focus on. Those are the things that you have control of. And that actually is key to becoming a happier person because when we look at all the externals, I could be fired, you know, I um, could be cheated on or all that stuff. And you focus on that, you have no control because those are things out of your hands. But the more you mm -hmm. focus on, well, okay, somebody cheated on me. 
I'm not wasting my time with that person because clearly I can do better. That's how I control that situation. I will never date anybody with that kind of attitude. And just focusing on the things we could, because we tend to just focus on, oh, what did I do? Terrible that, you know, they wanted to dump me and cheat on me as opposed right. to, well, what can I do to better this and not get myself in that situation? So it's less ascent in the way of rising and more ascent in whether you'll give permission to yes. the emotion or not. Okay. All right. Got you. One thing that I, I really liked, because when I was coming up with the name of the show, there were a lot of things that I was looking at and I was like, I just love all of these concepts and the way that they speak on this. But the phrase uh, virtue is the only good is something that kept coming up. And I, I, well, I mean, I, of course, you know, I'm a Christian, so I'll say, you know, uh, yep, there's nothing good there that's not God. But um, so it comes from God. It stems from God. But um, I love the concept that the only thing that is good for humans is to be virtuous, is to be mm -hmm. good. And I, of course, I would continue that line of thought because of the way my brain works. But I really appreciate the focus on being good, doing good and living well. Like I, I just, I think more people need to do that. <laughs> so oh, I'm, I'm open to it. <laughs> yeah. And you've, you've pinpointed an argument that I've definitely heard because that's why it's hard to layer stoicism and Christianity because hearing the only good is virtue obviously is going to make any Christian yeah. immediately, you know, so you see the problem for me, it's yeah. never been an actual problem because I was like the, I'm talking about on the human sense on how I'm going to go about treating others and for my inner inner self. And that's what stoicism to me is pretty much steps on how to make sure I get to that virtuous path where to me, um, though God would be part of that for any Christian at the same yeah. time, I, I don't see it as a conflict exactly in my mind well, because I don't, yeah, they, they're I leading you down to the same path. Yeah. And I, and I, I would, I would start talking about what virtue, what good is, because that's just a separate conversation. Yeah. But I think what I like about it is that it virtue is the only good. So the good isn't um, greed, the good, the good isn't, um, you know, I guess you could say degeneracy, if you really want to get the groipers on on with you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not these very human self centered ideas but that being good is the only way to, to because, you know, Ayn Rand is the opposite end of that. It's objective, but it's all about you. And so if it brings you joy, I mean, I'm probably slaughtering the way Ayn Rand thought, but I don't want to do that. I don't know. I haven't read her books, but well, she's dead. She's not going to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to read objectivism. Yes. I, I really just like the centering oneself, not on, on selfishness, on um, it being, I don't know. I just, I feel like it sounds a lot like you're just saying the only good is good, but it's more of an exclusive statement. I feel what yeah. they're saying rather there, than it being just kind of out there. Doesn't virtue imply a level of self-governance though? Because it's not just virtue's not just like a natural thing necessarily, because humans right. have all their baser instincts. So that virtue implies on some level you're resisting your baser nature. You're not, you know, being, you know, immoral in all the different ways that humans have to be immoral. You're being virtuous. You're choosing something 
more. And so yeah. I would say in, in that regard, it, it doesn't necessarily conflict with Christianity. It's, it's a, a philosophy on its own, but it doesn't seem to me in any way to conflict with what, you know, at least from my readings of the Christian monastics, what they would, would want for you or, or, or suggest to any of us to be doing with our lives. Yeah. And actually you just nailed it there because when it comes to ethics, they're, they split into two parts. The first being virtue, obviously the other being the opposite vice, which mm -hmm. Stoics believe contribute to a state of misery, which is why mm -hmm. they say virtue is, is the only good because you are really, this contributes to your happiness where you give into your vices, they tend to send you more down a, a selfish route. The one that is not going to be helpful for, for anyone and is just going to destroy that that uh, cardinal virtue of justice. Right. I really like the idea because you earlier on you talked about how it has a lot to do with being and striving towards nature, towards Numa, towards what is natural. Um, and a lot of times when I heard you say that, my brain went to uh, striving for the ideal, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Because I think that in this life the world we live in forever, how, how it's almost always been. It's not, it's not about my brain is like half working right now. I'm so sorry. Uh, remind me what I was saying. <laughs> it seemed like you, you said, were getting, uh, go ahead. You can go ahead, Kim. Oh no. It sounded like you were actually closer to what he was going to say. You actually had more words. <laughs> Okay. No, um, it sounded like you were talking about um, virtue as an action. Right, 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 right. So, right. so I think that in the world that we live in, we are drawn to the vices. We are drawn to the fleeting. We are drawn to the things that ultimately hurt us. And the idea that one should attempt to go towards nature, and I don't know if um, Stoicism has any form of the concept of tabula rasa or blank slate or original intent. Um, but the idea that we should strive towards our ideal, what we're created for, or if you're not, you know, a theist, what we, I don't know how to describe it as not a theist, but what we're created for, what we're meant to be, I find that to be incredibly um, uh, advantageous and good for the human race to try to be the best you can be, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true there. And yeah, there is a mention of the blank slate at some point. Then it usually comes with the, the part of stoicism where you really talk about um, where knowledge comes from and how you get to that point where you can say you have a comprehensive knowledge of something. And it starts out of course with the blank slate of, you know, when you're, when you're born and you start learning things to the point where it becomes a cohesive point where you can say it's a, it's cogent and you actually do have, wisdom on that topic. You don't always just have that randomly sitting around. Mm -hmm. It's it's the learning things, it's the applying them, it's the studying and thinking about them that make them mm -hmm. wisdom. So there's a little bit of that kind of talk when it, about in my first, yeah, in the Stoic Essential Studies was a uh, pretty cool. I'd like to get more into that topic, but it was only like a couple of pages. <laughs> there was um, a, a writer I've been reading recently, say Anthony the Great, where he talks about, um, without temptations, we would not have the opportunity to reach virtues. And so they are intimately connected. 
that you need you you sort of need the the baser things of the human soul you need sin you need all of those things in order to resist them so that you can attain theosis which is like closeness to god so um i i would say that what you're talking about to me sort of reminds me of that uh you know don't lament about you having to fight temptations those temptations are there to put you through your paces so that you can achieve a higher state of being theosis closeness to god whatever it might take form for each individual person yeah that would make sense i mean that's uh, another reason why virtue and vice are kind of the two sides of the same coin how are you going to understand mm -hmm. what the good is and how to strive for the good if you don't know what the bad would be for you which would be the vices you've got to be able mm -hmm. to discern between those and that tends to keep you on the straight and narrow when you actually can discern between, between that. And though stoicism is kind of interesting with the whole, they think a lot of things are faded. I guess they're more into compatibilism than anything, which is quite the in-depth philosophy topic that yeah. could go on for an eternity, <laughs> which is interesting, but and it's almost as bad as the Calvinism and Protestant conversation anyway. But it's, <laughs> it's a lot of every human has their vices that they need to fight against. And that tends to make people human, just like emotions make you human, which is why Stoics don't ban emotion. They just teach you to understand them. Right. I don't know. I don't know if there's a Stoic answer for this or the way my, the way I think, um, because, you know, a lot of my philosophy is driven from reading the Bible books, reading all sorts of stuff, and then just thinking just sitting and weighing it out and reasoning. Um, but one of the things that I've thought since I was in college is that perhaps when we speak of emotion, we speak of it in the wrong way because I feel like it it's conflated with reaction because mm. I feel that most likely what emotion is, what feeling is, is oftentimes completely true. I mean, of course, you know, our perception may be off and that may, that may affect that. But when we feel sad, when we feel happy, when we have these different feelings, these are things that the problem comes in when we start to process them. And so when people are railing against emotion or against feelings, a lot of times I feel that people are actually more railing against the reaction and the action that a person takes rather than the actual um, revelation that emotion gives you. Yeah. Does that Actually, make sense? Yeah. And that, that goes back to what I was talking about earlier, the, the value judgments and the ascent, because yeah, that's the point. The emotions are trying to guide you. And that's an, another reason Stoics are so into understanding reason and they base lot all the other systems are based on logic. Ethics and physics still has to focus on logic because that is going to give you the ability to understand what those emotions are teaching you. Because sometimes there are things where you feel it, where somebody walks up to you and if you were not, to, and you felt frightened for a second, for all you know, you can be like, oh, that was just an emotion. And then that was actually trying to tell you this person's coming to attack you. This person might kill you. And then next thing you know, you're stabbed to death. You know, your emotion was trying to, tell you something. And mm -hmm. that's what emotions are doing. Even if I think a lot of the time when we assent to things, sometimes we get the wrong idea about the emotion. Whereas maybe we should have been mad at that person for saying some, 
saying it the way they said it. Maybe they were trying yeah. to in say something to correct you, but they say it really terribly, really rudely, and just call you out maybe in front of people. And you feel that anger, that anger, yes, at the way that they said it to you, but then being able to stop and think, okay, yes, I had that reaction of anger, I should have, but what is this trying to tell me? Why did I have it? And that's right. what stoicism is all about because emotions are not bad in themselves. And you're right that emotions get misconstrued a lot with actions. And that's where the Stoics are trying to stop it from being, they're making those two separate things. Your emotion mm -hmm. okay. is separate from your reaction. <laughs> well, I, I feel I feel slightly smarter. I feel a little bit better about myself because the, I, I was just, I've thought about that for a while and I'm like, is this stupid? It's because no. people talk about how bad fear is. They talk about how bad anger is. They talk about how bad this, that, or the other is. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, fear is a warning response. It's telling you to keep your eyes open, look, look around, don't get hurt. Anger, I, I can tell you that anger can very well be righteous. It can very well be utilized in good ways or it can be utilized in bad ways. And so that's where that came from was just hearing people say that you shouldn't be angry. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, I'm allowed to be angry. I just need to rein in what I'm doing. Yeah. Also, I found free that to do something. for sure. Um, my husband and I grew up in very different kinds of environments. And then as a result, we appro approach and process our emotions very differently from one another. I don't know if that also has something to do with the difference in our gender or whatever, but oftentimes we'll have to, um, after the fact, explain the positions of where we were coming from to reach the emotional conclusions that we did. And that was um, a, a wake up call to me. Oh, okay. Not everyone experiences emotions in the same way. Not everyone processes reactions to things in the exact same way. So um, that helped me in my, because you know we've been together since we were very young. So that helped me um, like process other people. Okay, your life experiences are completely different from mine. Therefore, you're processing the interaction that I'm having with you differently. My tone of voice may come off to you differently than I intend it. And so that um, helps me also monitor the way that I'm um, presenting myself to others, knowing, okay, you know, if, if, if I moderate my tone, it might get me a better reaction because this person might have reactions or emotional um, responses that, you know, I wouldn't have thought the way that I'm speaking to them might, you know, I guess I, I hate to use the word trigger, but might trigger an emotional response for them or a reaction from them that I don't necessarily intend. And, uh, I will say yeah. as a man, even tempering your voice can often get you in trouble because then, you know, the woman just thinks you're pandering or <laughs> something. It's like, God bless. Don't um, you be so damn reasonable with me, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always find it funny. The one of the observations that I was able to, to have, and this is that a lot of the time women are portrayed as being over emotional because we tend to express a, more of a range of emotion. Mm -hmm. and get called hysterical where they say men aren't. But going back to the fact, anger is not necessarily a bad thing, but I see the emotion that men display the most would be anger. So I <laughs> both, and that's why I, I'm one of those, I think I'm going to end up doing a whole entire lesbitarian episode on how I cannot stand the battle of the sexes and the dumbest arguments I've ever seen because I'm seeking, if you sit back and watch 
a woman scream about something and go through this whole range of emotions. And some dude's just screaming about something she, like she's the only emotional person. They're both emotional. <laughs> Humans are emotional. They're, they're dumb creatures most of the time. So I just, just don't like a lot the of testosterone. Yeah. We just have a, um, a lot of aggression building t testosterone. It's like, it's hard. <laughs> do you think that anger is the um, easier emotion to assent to? Whereas like others might not necessarily have the same kind of thrall that anger does. Is there a hierarchy of emotion? I'd say there's, I think anger and fear are usually two of the strongest motivators that I've seen in most people because fear can save you, but fear can also make you react angrily as well. So, sure. mm -hmm. but yeah, defensive a lot of people- anger. Yeah, defensive anger. It just, there's all sorts of ways. I'd say fear and anger are usually two of the strongest and, or at least maybe I'm thinking from being in the US and how people react to everything. It's just <laughs> anger at all times. And yeah. the fear makes them angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uncertainty makes us angry. Sign of the times, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kim, what what started you on the path to looking into stoicism and wanting to learn this um, mindset? Oddly enough, Mike Meharry on his Godarchy podcast, he just randomly, he was talking about something, he just randomly stops and says, you know, I've been looking into stoicism, and that's all. He didn't explain that anything. That was it. <laughs> and for some reason, it hit me. I was just like, what the heck is he talking about? And I looked into it. And I think the thing that appealed to me that appealed to most people is the ethics, of course, because that's the stuff that teaches to be virtuous. And that's where you'll find most of the people concentrating, even though if you're a nerd like me, you're going to dive into the entire system and it's quite complex. But I just saw that I had trouble regulating my emotions. And I had doctors talking to me about how I'm bipolar and and people giving me medications and thinking, you know, oh, you'll never change. And I see it. I'm not trying to say mental health is something that's just a switch or something that you can just change overnight. But I wasn't actually bipolar. I just was never taught to regulate my thoughts or my emotions. I never had that kind of system. You know, I would pray and all of that, but I didn't have a mechanism because my mom was prone to give flying in the rages or tears or whatever. So I had no way to stop that thought process and stoicism was just like look you'd have to stop and think about these things why are you having this emotion is it leading you to do something that will be helpful for you and helpful to the person you're going to say it to is it going to be harmful to you and yeah. i just really like that and it changed my entire thought process to the point where every now and then i do have some moments where i want to react crazy all over the place but other than that i just kind of even killed and go, you know what, that's not going to do me any good to get upset or worry about that. So I'm done. That reminds me so much of um, the episode before our last episode, where we talked to Chris about mental health. And he was saying a lot of times people are diagnosed and prescribed medications simply because they are not docile, simply because they are not contented with the way that things are. And as a result, they'll be given a series of medications and a diagnosis to go along with it in order to sort of like change this state of their being. Whereas philosophy is not looked into as a way to change a person's state of mind or state of being. And it sounds to me as though that could be something that could be quite helpful to people who aren't finding help with medication. So even to say, okay, yes, some people can't flip a switch, mental health is difficult, so on and so forth. Absolutely. But 
maybe we're not trying all of the tools that we have at our disposal. We're using one tool, which is pharmaceuticals, and not, you know, exploring the other tools in our tool belt, which one of which might be stoicism. Actually, you just hit the nail on the head. I'm glad you started with that because I really was going to go into that conversation where I'm after becoming a stoic and practicing it and finding my peace, finding my joy and getting my spiritual life back on track. I was still in some of these groups for depression and anxiety and remembering my thought process to that is just so hopeless. And then you try to find a nice way to say, well, there are possibilities, there's CBT. And if you really like CBT, there's stoicism. There's actually other philosophies. You know, stoicism isn't the only one and it's not the system for everybody. It's just what helps you. And then you go to suggest that and you just get torn up in these groups or like, oh, it's just natural. And they think it's just a state of mind and blah, blah, blah. And you're just thinking, oh, calm down there. I'm just giving you a suggestion. It helped me. I don't know. It might help you. It might not. But it's it's because society has told us that, okay, now you have mental illness. Now the only way to solve that is pills and for people to treat you with kid gloves. And that's how our society is where I've seen plenty of people take on different, you know, even Christianity, they've taken on different belief systems and it just completely changed them and their personality and the way they think. And it mm -hmm. literally is changing the way you think is what philosophy does. It, teaches you how to live. It also teaches you how to die because philosophy is very hardcore on that. You don't, you know, skip over any of that sort of stuff, but people don't right. want to do that sort of thing today. They, they, they like the excuse of, I just have to be on drugs and I'm different than everybody. And sure. I want to be treated special for my mental disability, like mental disability is the way they tend to portray and say, And they'll say you're discontented. Therefore you have a chemical imbalance. Therefore it must be treated chemically. Well, did you ever go through any kind of, um, testing that determined that you had a hormone imbalance or a chemical imbalance for the most part and this is what we discovered by talking to chris for the most part they don't test people for hormonal or chemical imbalances before using chemical methods to treat their discontented nature so it's like yeah you know you went right to the chemical shotgun before you ever even tried a cbt or philosophy and that I um go ahead no, I just find it so bizarre that the claim is you obviously have a chemical imbalance in your brain. And so the first thing we're going to do is put some chemicals into you that go to your brain that mess with your chemical balances in your brain like sure. that we don't and they don't even understand it fully. And yeah. so it's like this seems like something you do last ditch effort. It seems like you, yeah. you go the philosophy route. You go the cognitive behavioral therapy route. You route. Yeah, I said that right. You go through these different concepts. You go through these different frameworks of being. And then you, if if all else has failed, throw some drugs and, at it, I guess. Right. <laughs> but leading with something you don't understand just seems like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's created a whole society where, and once again, I'm, not trying to have some hate mail coming to the show of people who are dealing with mental imbalances or anything, but it just seems we've in the U S we've bred a society where you're almost patted on the back for saying that you have yes. some sort of imbalance and people just coddle you and it's crazy. And then when you try to, you try to help them and you try to kind of nudge them in a direction, say, this might help you. They will fight you. Like it's yeah. impossible. They will tell you it's impossible before you get there. And I've been there where you just think, I don't know how that person got out of it, but it must have been a miracle for them. That's never going to happen 
for me and I will fight you if you try to tell me that there's another solution because there can't be, yes. but there right. is. I, I had a um, conversation with a much younger person who ha also has ADHD. I have ADHD and I found myself talking to a much younger person who found out, just found out that they had ADHD and they were all over the place. And I kind of tried to tell him, hey, look, you know what? Y you do get better at dealing with it. It's a difficulty. It's a challenge, but things get easier. And he looked at me like no one has ever told me that this is going to get any better, any easier. And he just seemed really relieved to know that like, yeah, you develop skills in the eventuality of your life over the years, you develop skills for dealing with it and it gets easier. And it was like, uh, <laughs> no one had ever even told father to tell this young man, you're not going to be in this state forever. It will get better. Not to mention something that Ryan brought up, but deal with your gut. Oh yeah. Eat right. If you, mm -hmm. if you, if you change the things you eat, the, your, the way your brain works, will change as well if you're eating it's like my, my don't mom drink always beer said, yeah don't do not drink whiskey it's not good for you but oh, you know like my mom would always say uh garbage in garbage out usually she was talking about music mm -hmm. or movies but this is this is a a health thing as well your brain yeah. is a physical structure within your body that needs specific nutrients needs specific it has needs yeah fill them fill them correctly yep. and you're going to go a lot further than because you're right. There is a mixture of, uh, I won't say canonization. There have been people canonized for this, but there's, uh, there is virtue in mental illness. There's virtue in victimhood now. There's mm. virtue in all of these things that are not by nature good. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I see this, and when I see that this is happening and that you have to keep treat them with kid gloves, you can't disagree with them. You can't offer different solutions other than um, have this surgery, eat this, this, this chemical, do this, do that. It's amazing because it's, it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Why on earth are we not telling people that maybe they're allergic to something that they're eating and it's affecting their body? Maybe right. their body can't, can't process this. Maybe they need to slow down and think. Maybe they need to sit sit down and meditate. Maybe they need to pray, which is meditation, just with a with an audience. Um, but or even just the knowledge that your coping skills are going to get better, and it's not right. always going to be this bad. And yeah. that alone, because if you think this is going to be your permanent state for the end of time, I mean, that throw a person off a bridge. Some oh, of the yeah. mental illnesses people have. You know, hey, guess what? As you get older, you get more tools in your belt. Philosophy can be a tool in a major way to help you, like, deal with these things as they come. And, yeah, yeah. now you've got me wanting to study stoicism, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's, it is a lot of fun. And one of the things that I find funny about stoicism that I really like and it takes and people with high anxiety are almost there you're already almost a pro at this ability and it's uh <laughs> it's more of a cbt thing and it's mm -hmm. i'm not even going to say the greek name for it because i'll or latin name i'll screw that crap up but it's big it's basically negative visualization and people with anxiety do it all the time where there's like oh my goodness i have this interview coming up and they're freaking out i'm not going to get this job they're going to hate me blah, blah blah well you're almost there with one of these skills that we use it's to sit down and you want to start with something light uh, when you do it in ice, maybe bombing a job interview would be light. And you actually sit there 
and think about it and not just think about it to the point where you freak out. It's like being in a movie scene. You see yourself sitting there through your eyes. You're watching the person interview you and you're going through the interview. You want to sit and visualize all the scenarios that could happen. You saying the dumbest thing that could ever come out of your mouth and how you would deal with that while that person's staring at you like, get the hell out of here. We never hire that. Just every situation. And this is not to freak you out. This is why it's a something you have to train up slowly, but people with anxiety are halfway there. It's to help you to think about every possibility. You would have a solution for everything that you encounter. So when it does happen, and this is in all facets of philosophy, not just stoicism, a philosopher is going to be super happy. It could be the worst outcome out of everything you envision, but you're happy because you already figured out that could happen. So you're like, yeah, this probably sucks, but I figured out this is, yeah, I'm awesome. I figured out this was going to happen. And it yeah. teaches you to be able to take things in stride. So I've been in situations where I used to be really afraid to ask women out. And now it's just, if I go up, well, depending on how much I like the person, sometimes it's still difficult, but I can just walk up to a random stranger and get the number because I'm thinking, was well, she going to say, no, I'm not going to die on the spot. And they're like, girl, you just missed out and then just walk away. And right. that actually had to be something I had to do as a negative visualization. It's a really cool technique that I feel like people with anxiety, if they would only be able to do it in a controlled way that would get them there, would actually probably help with a lot of that anxiety. It did for me. I don't have that much anxiety anymore. Um, one thing I have that this, I want... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to... It's real quick. I was going to say, I have this as a high anxiety person. I have this mental exercise I do when I'm in that such kind of situation and I'm nervous about it. I think, well, they're not going to beat you with chains, are they? Like... Cause that's like, you know, an awful thing. They're gonna pick up a chain and like beat you with it. Okay, well that's probably not gonna happen. So work your way back from there. Okay, they're not gonna shove you down. Yeah. They're not gonna yell at you, you know? And so like you bring it down to like the possibilities are like, but I always start really high. It's like, okay, well they're not gonna beat you with chain. Cause that's just like the most horrible thing I could think of is someone beating me down with a chain. And they're like, okay, they're not gonna beat you with a chain. They're not gonna throw you onto the ground. They're not gonna spit on you. They're not gonna yell at you. And then, you know, I, that really calms you down because you realize the list of possibilities, which seemed so endless before, really are kind of narrow. This person yeah. is by and large going to treat you with m probably respect. And, you know, at worst, you'll feel a little rejected, but you'll get over that. And yeah, um, that's you're, you're right about high anxiety people having a lot of those tools already, because I do. My unfortunateness is that I start on Mount Everest with it. And then I have to work my way down. And if I'm having a bad day, I don't get so far down that mountain. I'm like, no, they will beat me up with chains. It's going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I understand yeah. that. Uh, what, what I was going to say is if you're willing to talk about any of it, you don't have to be specific. But, uh, you know, over the last year since you started this path of stoicism, I'm curious about the boots on the ground. So you have had a fair amount of, amount of trauma and sad things happen, especially within the last couple of months. Um, when it's come to implementing this framework, has it helped? How has it helped? Um, would you be willing to talk about that at all? Yeah. Um, for everybody listening, the interesting part of the past two months was that, um, well, to be fair, it was almost two years ago that my mom got a terminal stage four cancer diagnosis. And so that was the start of it. But her passing coincided with uh, my cousin's wife dying 
and then my mom dying and then my cousin whose wife died died after that in the span of two months we had three people in the family die and of course they all hit me but my mom's being the hardest because when you're the caretaker it hits everybody hard when you lose a parent and you were close to them and you were lucky enough to have that parent to be close to them but when you're the caretaker it's it's really inexperienced and to add on to that my mom was married to a narcissist so that i needed a lot of stoicism to get through it because i basically had to stay over there because she was at home and he would just be off driving around shopping while she's at home suffering so of course i went over there to take care of her and it's okay because i she, i'd always been the center of her world basically you know she loved my brother obviously but me and her just we were best friends that's how our dynamic went and when she was going through chemo and she was okay there was that phase of hope but then it was the moment where she say she was saying she was going to go on hospice that i really had to draw on all of the stoic truths because one of the things is memento mori remember you'll die and there's some hardcore stuff about stoicism it's not humanly possible but stoics will reach for it anyway is to be able to take your child and kiss them on the head and say remember you are mortal this kid could die, not to the kid. Don't say that to the kid, but just thinking <laughs> that. And it's a very, it's a very frightening thing. Don't terrorize thing your maybe. children, Cam. Yeah, please don't say, don't say you will Ezra. die, kid. <laughs> but, but it's just for you because it's still going to hurt when it happens. But some people, yeah. they react when somebody dies in this state of shock and it just envelops them and they just want to stay away from de denial but we've known from the beginning of time that people die there's not a single human that is still on this earth unless you were jesus that has died and then or just never died every single person does and that's why stoics keep that as a forefront we contemplate our death every single day because that's just something you should know is going to happen and if you are blessed enough to outlive your parents because i have a friend who her son died when he was 19 and that hit me hard and that definitely hit her hard and it's still a, something she's obviously dealing with but I if I was to outlive my mom that would mean she would die at some point so I literally just had to sit there and go okay remember she's gonna die she's got stage four cancer and while miracles can happen you need to realistically sit down and think about it so this was why I worked my way up when it came to the negative visualization was eventually I imagined what it would be like when she died and having to see the breath leave her and also to see her maybe in a casket or something, just, you know, things I could not have done during my high anxiety days and just going, you know, it's, it just made me hang on to those moments more when I was helping her instead of going, I am so tired of coming over here. I'm tired. I've worked all day and her husband should be helping. I'm super tired. I just want to lay down and you know, she'd be in a lot of pain. So she'd wake up in the middle of the night kind of screaming because those cramps would hit. So I wouldn't sleep very well. And instead of going, you know, I just like some sleep, just going, okay, remember, you know, we're here for her. We're focusing on her. I'm trying to nurse her towards heaven. And it had to be so much less about me. And it was very difficult to do because around the end, there was a lot of pain because it was the kind of cancer that attacks the tissue. So in the last couple of days, she couldn't even move out of the spot she was in. I could barely get the pain meds. And they even had me with a syringe of, they give cancer patients some serious medication, man, that stuff is strong. And there's so there were so many times I just want to break down because if you see your loved one struggling, just screaming all night and you're trying to figure out and they can no longer talk, 
and you can't figure out what they're saying to you to to help them, the panic isn't going to help you figure it out. All I could right. do was go, okay, see, look at her body, figure out what's going on. And I saw her leg was hanging off the bed and that hurts if you got, you know, nerve damage. So I picked up her leg and she stopped. And these are the things that I realized um, when I put myself on the back burner and put her first, knowing she was going to go, it made me treasure the moments she could still talk. Um, mm -hmm. It made me treasure even those last moments where she was kind of, you know, reaching out and, you know, she couldn't really do much. And I just kind of rubbed her leg and just told her, I love you and you can go. And it was just, I don't know, there was a beauty in that because it was like the last connection we had. And I go, you know, it's okay, mom, you've done your job. Go, I love you. And you can't tend to do that if you're so focused on yourself. And yeah. I think it was, if it wasn't for stoicism, I don't think I would have had that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's like with my family, when my dad passed away a couple of years ago, I think it'll be two years uh, next month. Um, my, my mom, my brother, my sister, were not expecting it. And seeing their reaction was, it was hard. And part of it was hard because um, it's just hard to watch someone wail, like truly yeah. wail. Oof. It's hard to watch people emote at that level. But the other part that was really hard was that I wasn't feeling it. And it's not because I had denial or I didn't believe he was dead or anything like that. But about a year before he was in bad shape, we couldn't take care of him. We couldn't afford to. It wasn't possible for us to take care of him. And so we had to have professionals do it in a home. And I had to do all of the work to get him there, to get him taken care of. Um, and I still feel bad about that decision. But the last time I saw him was the worst that I, it was, it was the worst I'd ever seen. He looked like one of those photos of, Holocaust survivors right out mm -hmm. of Auschwitz. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't pretty. And I yeah. saw him and I looked at him in that state and I knew this is the last time I'm going to see my dad. And even before that, the way he had changed, I knew that he wasn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when it happened, I had accepted this like a year before and none of them had. And so I didn't have that emotional weight that they did because I'd already sat and thought about it. I I knew it was coming. I knew what was going to happen and I couldn't do a damn thing about it, even though I wish I could have. And I still feel there's those feelings that I failed him, but I all I knew is that there were some things that I wanted to keep of his mainly namely his Bible and his glasses that he used every day to read the Bible. Um, but I also just made my jokes because they ease the pain. Mm -hmm. um, but this is that's the that's the interesting thing to me is, you know, in in a sense, I do have a memento mori on my arm. I've got us. I've got my skull. I could I've got a couple skulls, actually. But the idea of death has never been one that has been a fearful idea for me. Mm -hmm. It is one that I know that when it happens, I get to meet some, I get to meet like the coolest person of all time in person. And so I'm good. You know what I mean? I get to, I get to see that dude. I get to hug him. Hopefully he won't pop my back cause I don't love it, but actually I'd be, I'd be cool with it. But 
I have no fear of death insofar as it pertains to me. I do, however, have five children. And so their lives matter more to me than mine does. And I'm not saying that I want to die. Don't hear that. But what I'm saying is that I'm prepared at any moment to die and be completely fine with it. (laughs) And I think that for me, that was freeing. Because when I was younger, I had a little bit of a fear of it. But it's like now I'm just like, Sound, sounds fine to me. Yeah, it's like, actually, uh, I have one, well, only have that part in common with you. Because before Stoicism, even as a Christian, knowing where I was going to go at the same time, I didn't like the idea of death. And that, it would actually make me just fly into a panic, just the mm-hmm. thought of dying. Even though yeah. the end result would be amazing. And also, I wouldn't have to be dealing with people's bullshit down here. But um, <laughs> but it just made me fly into a panic. But as I started studying Stoicism, it's like, you, you you already knew it was coming. The end of life is death. Yeah. And so now I'm just like, if I could go out and get hit by a car, I could have a heart attack. Oh, okay. And, it, and I also had the same kind of reaction you did with your father when my mom, because it was for her, she was kind of hyperventilating and... I walk over and notice her nose was kind of closed. And so I kind of open her airway. She's gone like that. And most people would have probably thrown themselves. And I just went kind of felt for her. I was like, well, there it is. She's gone. She's happier than she's been. She's not in pain. And I just went to my stepdad and went, she's, she's, she's gone. And he's the one who freaked out. And I was just like, well, yeah, we knew it was coming. And I, of course I was, I was sad about it. And, you don't just get over it. You, I had my moments definitely after she passed and sometimes I still have them and I allow myself to grieve because the only way to get through grief is to allow yourself to have the emotions you're going to have. And, but I didn't start wailing even at her funeral. They were playing a lot of stuff and I kind of got choked up because there were, there was an insane amount of pictures of me and her and I picked them obviously, but (laughs) just seeing that and just, but it was more, even though I was kind of sad, it was kind of just seeing the, getting to see the beauty of our relationship that we were blessed with that. I had 30 years, 38 years of that. And Mm -hmm. that was the reason I was crying was because, you know, I was blessed with that. There are so many people that don't have their moms. I have a friend who lost her mom to cancer at age nine. So she never got to really live that life with her. And that's how I view death. And it's now also the fact that Sometimes it has an effect and my mom's death had a profound effect on my family because there was a huge rift in my family. She kind of spirited us away and all families, we were just kind of separate and her passing really just shook up the family to the point where I talked to my cousins and my aunts call and check on me all the time. My uncles, this was something that didn't happen. So Mm -hmm. there was something that good that came out of her suffering. And that's all she wanted because this was the kind of woman when the hospice nurses would come in, she'd be smiling and talking about God and wanting to sing them hymns and stuff like that all the way up until she couldn't move and speak. So Mm is her life was a whole testament to how I should live. And that to me was the important thing that, you know, though I have lost her in body on this earth, it was kind of her saying, come on, it's now your turn. I've taught you, you know, I've put you in the church. I've, you've read the Bible, you've done all this. You're an educated person. Now it's your turn to go. And I'm not here to hold your hand anymore. And that's how it was going to be if God would allow me to live longer than her. And so to me, it was like a handoff. And I guess that's how I was able to continue moving and going on along with stoicism because I knew it was coming. 
Well, one of the one of the stories that I tell is kind of sad, but it's also one of the things that really affected me positively was my dad did not want to be in that nursing facility. And so the reason he he died was because he tried to to stage an escape. He watched the people put in the code on the door to get out. And then he put in that code and then he climbed a fence and he jumped over and he broke his hip mm. and <laughs> he had a hip replacement. The doctors didn't do a good job. Anesthesiology didn't do a good job. He passed away. But I knew as I talked my pastor since I was a small child into letting me play Kansas's carry on my wayward son in the, in the sanctuary <laughs> that there was peace when he was done and that he mm -hmm. did not have to escape, that he did not have to be in this place that he didn't want to be anymore. And that was peaceful and good. And yeah. death is hard. And we're, we've, we've talked about death specifically on this show and we're going to do it again. We're going to yeah. talk about death a fair amount. Cause I mean, maybe I'm a stoic and I didn't realize it, but you do have to remember that you're going to die. You do have to remember that you have a limited time here on earth and to make the most of it and to do the best that you can with it. When um, we did, um, sorry, go ahead. No. Well, when we did that episode with, um, Kate from burials and beyond the episode was centered on the topic of death entirely. And we talked for an hour and a half about it. And um, a friend of mine told me, she said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I wanted to listen to your episode, but death freaks me out and I'm too scared. That she found the topic of death so intolerable that the idea of like even listening to a podcast episode that talked about how, you know, you might prepare for that kind of thing, how you might mentally um, be more, become more comfortable with the idea that you're going to die it scared her so bad that she apologetically told me she could not listen to our podcast episode. And I remember thinking when she told me that was you're going to die regardless of whether you listen to the podcast episode or not. So <laughs> yeah, and um, we made that for you. Right, right. You're the exact person. I told her I didn't say it to her in that language, of course, because you want to monitor the way you're received by other individuals. And I said, um, you know, Kate is um, very lovely and experienced and she's not the kind of person that's going to raise your anxiety. It's actually done in such a uh, kind and charitable way that uh, I think that you really would get a lot out of it. I don't think she ever did end up listening to the episode, but I did have that reaction at the time. I was like, yeah, whether you listen to it or not, it's still going to happen. <laughs> so that's something we all need to kind of like come to terms with our own, own, own mortality and the mortality of the people around us. Yeah. So I know, Kim, that your AC is out and you live in the desert and that you have <sighs> someone that's going to let you stay in their air conditioned house and they're going to let you take take your cats with you. So I know you have to go. Um, but I did want to ask our um, God bless question. you. I didn't know that. I'm so sorry. I just want to tell you, God bless you for even sitting here this long with no air conditioner. You're truly a stoic, like with my all my respect. Yeah, not very stoic armpits, but I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> They're <laughs> the reacting. The, the desert fathers themselves would be very pleased with you. St. Anthony is looking down saying that's one of ours right there. <laughs> uh, but one of the, the main thrusts of this show is um, well, madness. And 
I think at this point in history, and probably in most of history, the maddest thing you can do is have hope, is to look to the future yeah, and look at silver linings. And so one of the things we like to do on this show, without fail, I won't ask you the pizza question this time, but... Oh, are we done with the pizza question? Finally. We're, Don't yeah, do we're, it. Go we're, ahead. We're, Keep we're, moving. We're getting into some serious topics and it's like it won't fit with some of these people anymore, yeah. so I can't do it. Um, I agree. But before um, I tell people where to find you and, tell, and I, I let you go and, and cool down, um, I do want to ask, what is something in your life? And like I tell everyone, it can be very personal. It can be, it can go up to global, wherever you find it. What is something right now that gives you hope and motivates you to live your life the best way you can? I'd say the fact that no matter what the heck is going on in the world, there is a beauty in spending time with people that you love, spending time learning new things. I mean, during all this craziness, even during while my mom was dealing with cancer, I was taking care of her, I was still trying to learn things. I was learning Japanese and studying a lot more philosophy. There's just a beauty in knowledge. There's even amidst chaos, there are pockets of peace that you can find. And you can find them just by thinking about some of the things you enjoy. And I guess it's a very stoic thing. And for minimalists, they like this, just finding your joy in the simplest of things that you don't really have to carry around much to have that kind of joy. And I just find that in just being able to sit and think about things that there's wisdom, there's knowledge, and that there are still people, no matter how stupid the rest of the country gets and the rest of the world gets, that if you have lived a good life and allowed yourself to be around good people, you will still have some sanity, like get, getting to come on this podcast and talk to two sane people that understand <laughs> reality and have left the stupid party. And <laughs> we can just enjoy this. We had this whole conversation, a real conversation in the midst of if we walked outside, people would be still talking about a vaccine, the kind of stupid yeah. crap you don't want to have to talk about anymore. It's yeah. Those are the things I find silver linings. There is still joy. I can still smile and laugh with you guys and talk about things and learn new stuff Yeah, just by having good people in my life. Well, you know, you know, I love you, but it, it, it reminded me of a verse in Philippians. Um, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I like that. And so I, that is something that I think encapsulates what you're talking about is being able to have just a conversation, a deep conversation with lo lots of inappropriate laughter at dark things, because that's me, baby. Yeah, that's what um, we do. <laughs> but um, I just want you to know, um, I am so glad that what five years ago i wanted to make a joke parody video about um that stupid kid president thing i think and that started a conversation that led to us starting a podcast to you buying me a mic to me continue to that podcast ending to me rebooting it to me making this one and doing what i'm doing right now and so without you this show wouldn't exist Aww. and and I will forever be appreciative of that. And I do you're love his, you. You're his fairy pod mother. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Well, so, I'm, I'm very glad that you kept on going because I, I think it's very necessary. The conversations you guys have on, on this show are very necessary. So I'm glad you kept on and you found Jessica. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And it's, it took so long. And like I, I said this on, tw on Twitter and I feel like I need to say it here. I feel so free. I, I used to look for guests that would talk about a very specific and niche topic and we would talk about the same things and we would regurgitate the same points. Everyone would be having podcasts of the same stuff. And then the Still other do. day, the other day, um, I, on TikTok, which I'm on TikTok cause I'm hip. Um, I saw a, I, I, that will always be my, my favorite joke that I make and I you tell. have to live with it. Um, but I saw a video of a guy who was attacked by two great white sharks at the same time. And it was caught on film. And it's the only time that's ever happened in history. Wow. And, and I was like, I want to talk to this guy. I messaged him. We're talking about him coming on later in the year. Um, and I was just thinking, I could never have done this if a year ago, or almost a year ago, I hadn't gone, hey, Jessica, I'm doing, I, I want to do this thing new. I want you to be with me. I want to do something different. It wouldn't have been possible for me to talk to a shark attack survivor because I could, I would have to tie it into something stupid. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. So right. without you, without um, certain Facebook groups, without certain situations, we wouldn't be here. But you, uh, I was very happy when you said you wanted to do a new podcast to do everything I could to make that happen, to do, to return the favor. And also when you start your stoicism podcast, I also want to help you in any way that I can. Um, but if I just want to listen to you, that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so if people want to find you, uh, you are on Twitter and Instagram uh, at the loan token for your personal account. If you want to check out her show at Lesbertarian, if you want to listen to it, uh, so far, she's not on video. Maybe we'll we'll work up to to doing some of that and figuring that out at some point. Uh, but uh, if you want to listen to it, lesbertarian.com or any podcatcher, just type in Lesbertarian, you'll find her. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience or where to find you or what you're interested in doing before I let you go find the the coolness in this world? Um. Well... The one of the things is I would love for, and this includes you too, anybody to shoot me an email or find me on any of the social media. Again, it's even lesbertarian at gmail.com. If you have any ideas of what you would like to hear on that show, I'm still working on where it should go because I think the name is funny and it shouldn't disappear. Yeah. Lesbertarian is funny. Yeah, yeah. It's but <laughs> I just need to figure out the direction because uh, gay news was just, you know, there's 8 million podcasts gay. on that. It's very gay. <laughs> and uh, I want to still keep it and I want to keep it somewhat separate from my philosophy podcast because, of course, it leaks over into Lesbertarian because, you know, I am a stoic. But I want to focus more on the philosophy and obviously from a more comedic kind of angle as opposed to some of these other stoic podcasts because that's just who I am. But I would just <laughs> love for any ideas for Lesbertarian. That'd be great. Awesome. Did you see well, the one that Ryan suggested? Lesberstoicism. <laughs> I like that. Offshoot, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm, th I'm going to think about that, actually. I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I will let you go 
protect your kittens from the the heat and yourself and take some take at least one bass guitar so that it's safe from warping. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um but Kim, I I genuinely got a lot out of this and I just personally wanted to thank you. That was really awesome. Oh, thank you guys for having me on to talk about it. Uh, clearly I like to talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and you didn't disappoint because I knew you wouldn't, but it was we uh we were talking about, you know, people may not know what this is. We're going to have to kind of go into basics. And I was like, oh, Kim will be fine. We'll just, yes. we'll just ask her. And, she, and you did. And I'm, I'm so happy for that. Um, by people I met me, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I've got pages and pages of notes. So if you would have asked me anything, I'm like, trust me. I've already I got notes on that. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to go ahead and list off all of our stuff. And I'm going to let you go. Um, you're welcome back anytime. If, if someone tells us they want to talk about stoicism more, we might just have you on just for fun because that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes it's just about yeah. the conversation. So we'll, we'll have you back. I'll talk to you about when we're going to do that. Cause I'm booked out till no we're booked out till November. Nice. Isn't it amazing? Um, but yeah, so I'll let you go. I love you. Thank you for coming on back on my show. Our right, show. I love you too. Communism. <laughs> 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 all right so with that uh let me list off all the things because we have all the things to tell you about we uh, have things we have the things so upcoming we have a couple of cool episodes uh next week we have uh nick ashley coming on i i think we're going i don't know what we're going to do yet i haven't figured that out jessica and i are working on it we'll mm -hmm. see what happens uh past that we have nick Pacone. it will be nick aka three dicks pecone uh coming on it will be another philosophical episode uh he wants to flesh out postmodernism and some other philosophies a little bit more it's going to be a grab bag of philosophy because that's one of the things that he studied in college um after that my mom is coming on the show and i know what you're thinking this is going to be a fun episode it's all about making fun of cam but that's just half of it uh my mother is actually a um she helps women who have in the past had abortions go through a healing process because a lot of times, if you look at the media, if you look at the corporate press, uh, they act like it's nothing or that it's something to be celebrated. And that is not the typical emotional response from a woman who's had one. So that's what she does for a living. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, I told her to embarrass me as much as possible. So it should be fun anyway. And then finally. And we, and we can't swear while Ma Cam's mom yeah, we is can't here. Swear. No swearing. So it, do not swear in my comments. Um, but <laughs> the, the last one, newest They're one on the, on the thing for you guys to, to know about is uh, I've been on the propaganda report all week. And to repay the favor, uh, Monica and Brad will be coming on the show in mid-September, which is totally not totally a, a random time for people who talk about conspiracies and propaganda to come on few days after 9 11 not 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 weird at all um it's gonna be, be awesome yeah yes, I, uh so beyond that uh check out run your mouth coffee get some some bourbon barrel coffee it's delicious i'm not lying um check out our rockfin rockfin.com slash the mad ones that's where when we have the episode with the shark guy it'll probably be a few days early it will play there first and then later on, it'll come to YouTube and all the other platforms. So if you want to be there first, rockfin.com slash the mad ones. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the mad ones. Um, 
I have to do too too much stuff with my fingers. Um, that was a weird thing to say. Uh, Twitter yes, it was. at Cam Harless at Soup Canarchist for Jessica. Uh, we say things online. Um, if you want yes. a T-shirt or a tank top or a pillow, I think we have pillows. We definitely have pop sockets. WeAreTheMadOnes.com/store. Uh, <laughs> if you want to listen to us, WeAreTheMadOnes.com. Uh, any podcatcher has us. If you don't find it on your podcatcher, let me know because they, they like to be squirrely with that and I have to fix it. Um, YouTube.com slash the mad ones. We're on Odyssey, so everything's backed up there. We can't lose it. It's on the blockchain. Uncancelable. And that's a good thing to be. Um, finally, check out Lesbertarian. And a lot of the show, the Voluntary Vixens is still going strong. Lesbertarian, Technoagorist. Uh, they both come out periodically mmlganetwork.com to find that and a bunch of other shows that either me or Ryan recommend. And with that, we're done. <sighs> Is there anything you'd like to say to the audience before I hit this hit this little button? Uh, not much. I've been trying this beef jerky. It's really good. You guys should check out Righteous Felon Beef Jerky. They're not, not a sponsor. sponsor. If you want to be. They're just, we're here. If, they're just really good. Um, I'm trying to bury the hatchet with my cousin. We've had a fight for like four years now. And so I sent him a bunch of this stuff with a note that says, sorry for being a jerk. I hope we could put our beef behind us. Nerd. So, Are yeah, but no, no, but I make jokes like one. But yeah, the beef jerky, I ordered some for myself. It is actually really good. So uh, Righteous Felon, which is an amazing name. You guys should try it. It's actually really tasty. Do that. And also Righteous Felon, please, we will we will sell your beef jerky. We're not above mm -hmm. beef jerky. I love beef jerky. Talk to me. Um, but beyond that, as we leave, we love you all and um, think about good things. Oh.